0: If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. This conversation is a long time coming and I'm so excited that I get to share it with you with the founder of the website and the podcast, Bloody Good Horror, Eric Newell. I joined the BGH community last year and I'm so grateful for all of the people that I've met over there and that's all thanks to Eric. In our conversation, Eric nerds out over Friday the 13th and all of its sequels, the horror community as a whole, what it's like to watch horror trends shift over the last 20 years and so much more. You might also notice that we have new theme music and that is also thanks to Eric so let me know what you think of it. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who has already left us a review. It's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into this episode with Eric Newell. This week, we have the founder and host of the podcast, Bloody Good Horror, Eric Newell. I am so excited to chat with him. He has recorded over 650 episodes of Bloody Good Horror, and each one is such a good time. Hey, Eric, how are you?
1: Good. How are you? Yeah, we're actually approaching 666, which we're pretty (gasps) excited about.
0: Lucky, lucky number in the horror world, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et cetera?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm from up- upstate New York, which is where I currently live. So I'm like in that place, Allison, that's like foreign to where you live, like <laughs> that place where the capital is, you know. Yeah, I grew up in a small town, which is probably we can get to it later, but I think probably has a lot to do with why I ended up being into horror, but just kind of not much to do, looking for something more exciting. I work my day job is I work in sort of media. I'm like a video editor and producer. And that's taken me kind of up and down the East Coast in my career. And then on the side, I mean, I've done coverage of horror genre stuff since 2001. So it's been 21 years, which is pretty, pretty crazy. I think I officially qualify as like an elder statesman at this point. So
0: (laughs) you're a horror expert at this point.
1: I don't know that I'd say an expert, but what's interesting about being this age and having done it this long is that you have the benefit of, and this is just with any topic as you get older, you have the benefit of like you live through shit. It's like you and I were old enough on, I think, I don't know how old you are, I'm not going to ask, but like on 9-11 to have real life context for what that meant when it happened. Right. So like when you're having a conversation with somebody who was two years old when it happened or not even alive, it's like, we're not the same, but <laughs> I try not to be gatekeeping. But what's interesting is that Man, in particular, I have a lot of thoughts um, about the way that horror and like the acceptance of horror and then also just the trends have changed in the last 20 years because I've sort of lived through it in a way that once it gets distilled down and written out in a way that you might put in like a history book or something, there's you lose a lot of the color that you get when you actually lived through it of watching the trends kind of shift over time and stuff. So it's interesting having... I guess my point is it's interesting having been around this long doing it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yes, I am old enough to remember 9-11. I'm 36, so I don't mind saying my age.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm about to hit 40. So yeah, we're about, Yeah. you know, one of those big Mm -hmm. life milestones.
0: Uh, Yeah. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie?
1: Boy, favorite, man. I think it's so... I think like a lot of horror fans, I would like qualify and say, here's what I think the best one is, or here's, a... but I think if I'm just like pressed for an answer, I'd probably see the original Creep Show, And it's largely, I mean, it's a great movie, but it's like a heavy, heavy nostalgia thing for me. I just have a lot of uh, deep memories from that movie.
0: What kind of memories?
1: So man, an experience I miss a lot is just what catching things on cable, either new things I haven't seen yet or things that I have seen. And I would just drop everything to be like, sure, I'll watch an edited version of Creepshow with commercials for the (laughs) 400th time. But for whatever reason, I think that a thing that's come back, thankfully, I could always use more of it, but like just those really memorable synthesizer soundtracks that are almost like a character in themselves in those films, that soundtrack stuck with me from a very early age, just the sounds. And like later when I started discovering, oh, I can just go listen to these things. I listened to that Creepshow soundtrack all the time. And it's funny cause one of my favorite, other favorite ones is Day of the Dead. And then I later connected that, they were both done by John Harrison who really only scored a couple of things. And then he went on to become a director, but he's made this thing that's like been weirdly omnipresent in my life. So it's kind of interesting.
0: Very cool. Do you collect any horror soundtracks on vinyl?
1: I, you know, I just started more recently. I was like, I have always been, I know you're very into physical media, which I love. I've always been a physical media person, but I'm also more than I'd like to admit like a creature of convenience. So I've been pretty willing to just like jump over to like the streaming life, mm-hmm. but I've, but, but everywhere I've ever lived, I've into small apartments, mostly I've like schlepped my VHS around with me. I have like a, a a small video store's worth of like old VHS that I bought largely from places that were like going out of business when that whole like apocalypse happened. So I went from being like a huge physical media person to really giving into the streaming, but then lately I've been getting kind of more into it mostly mostly around vinyl soundtracks and stuff. So yeah, I've been getting a lot of stuff from like waxwork and weirdly like Amazon has a lot of these things for like pretty decent prices too. So I've just picked up from them, the return of the living dead soundtrack, which is all, all like of this really great licensed like early eighties punk stuff. Mm.
0: It's like a compilation
1: basically. It's just a lot of fun.
0: Nice. Going back to your nostalgia for watching edited movies on cable. I used to do that a lot too. And I, when I got rid of cable, I was like, all i do is just watch edited versions of movies that i own i don't need to be paying for this anymore mm-hmm. so but i get i i get the nostalgia of just like flipping around and like watching whatever's on so it's the discovery
1: thing and i think our generation too like in a way that i would guess YouTube now is like a sort of YouTube or devices are sort of a constant background noise in kids' lives. Now for us, it was TV. Like I watched an enormous amount of TV <laughs> as a child. So there's something about cable that's just like comfort noise to me. And that's the thing I'll get to, but I think like comfort plays really heavily into like, I think why people are a horror.
0: Yeah. Um, I, it's really hard for me to like be doing anything in my apartment now without background noise of a podcast which I'm yeah. trying to get away from because I'm like, I don't always need noise in my head, mm-hmm. but maybe I do. I don't know.
1: Uh, yeah. I relate to that very much.
0: <laughs> so how did you first fall in love with the horror genre?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I knew I mean, we've been thinking about doing this for a while. So I've been kind of thinking about it. I think that there were, I, I have a couple of really early, you know, I have those early childhood memories that are like before you've really formed memories. And at some point, most of the substance of it disappears, but it's sort of like a image you sort of get like, or a feeling, you know what I mean? Like back. So I have a memory. This is probably my earliest, one of my earliest memories that like remains for me. And it was seeing the trailer for just like a commercial for Friday, the 13th part seven, the new blood. So that movie came out in 1987. So it would have been five. So that kind of tracks with like a really early memory. And I, I, just what remains of that memory is me being a kid and catching this on TV. Cause I was five. My parents wouldn't let me watch something like that. But if it was just on in a commercial break, I just remember being like, what the fuck was that? Like, what was that? <laughs> and that was probably the moment where I started to like, I was always a very curious child. I always asked a lot of questions. So I, I assumed too, if I ever sensed that there was something going on, that like an adult didn't want me to poke at, then like, that was the thing I was going to go at. Like yeah. that, la- it's interesting. Cause that I'm, that journey kind of mirrors itself too. With like, I grew up Catholic and ended up at a pretty young age, like gravitating away from that stuff, because I sensed very early on people didn't like when you ask questions about it. So for me, as a kid who just had a lot of questions, like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. Like, what if you guys really just like, this what you believe in. So I'm sure from an early age, the fact that I sensed people were trying to keep me away from it made me just want it more the next. So I'm sure like, so between five and 10, I'm sure I just caught random snippets of things on TV, but I'm, when I was 10 years old, I started sneaking away to like a friend's house who lived near me who his parents let him do whatever the fuck he wanted to like i feel like some of us had that experience i did not have those parents my parents were not overly strict but they tried to like keep a lid on things this kid was like kind of rich and his parents were just like not painted the kind of thing that when you think back as an adult is depressing but when you're a kid you're like this is sweet like we can just do whatever we want (laughs) so i remember seeing total recall at his house at a really (laughs) early age and i remember seeing pumpkin head And then having to ride, I lived in the suburbs, but to get to his house, you had to kind of ride your bike through down a street that was like all woods. Mm. And I remember at dusk, like having to ride my bike back home after watching pumpkin head and like just scared shitless, but there's something really magical about that. And I think those are the feelings that started to really take root in me. And uh, that was what I started pursuing. I remember wearing my mom down at some point and to where she sort of agreed that she would rent horror movies for me. I was about 10 years old. And at the time, for people who don't remember this, a lot of grocery stores had little video stores in them. This would have been 1992 ish. So, like, I p- went to this place called Price Chopper that they have up in the Northeast that, like, one corner just had like a, a little mini video store. And, like, if I went with my mom, I would just spend the whole time in there while she shopped, just looking at stuff. I own most of that actual store's video collection now because I bought most of them when they, <laughs> when they all went on sale. But this particular night, it was a summer. I was probably about 10 years, 10 or 11. And I said to my mom, just bring me back like Halloween. It was like I didn't even really know what I was talking about, just something. So she brought me back a couple movies. What I remember is Halloween 2, she brought me back. I'd never even seen the original Halloween. I watched it in my brother's room where he had like an attic room. It was always like creepy and dark and like by myself And it just destroyed me. It scared the shit out of me in a way that like has burned that memory into my head. And it fucked me up for the entire summer. Like when I say the whole summer I had nightmares, just awful nightmares. I remember some of those nightmares they were so bad, but instead of having a, um, like a reaction to it it was like, I don't want that. I was like, I wanted it. I wanted more of that hardcore. Like I love that feeling of going to the edge and then, seeing how far I could go. So then from there on out, most of my adolescence became every weekend we revolved around going to some kind of video store, getting a bunch of movies, watching what I could. I was not always the most adventurous kid. So there was a place that you could do, this was the best you could do, five for five for five. So it was five movies for $5 for five days mm-hmm. if you did older stuff. So I'd get five horror movies, and but I would always get like two ish movies I'd seen was more like my safety picks. And then I would get a couple more that like were new in case they were terrible. Then I had something to kind of fall mm-hmm. back on. Yeah. And I just became known as my dad used to call me the dark child. Cause like a, my room was always really dark and B I was always watching some weird creepy shit in my room. And then that, yeah, I mean, that was a lot of my adolescence. I think I kind of fell away from it a little bit when I started like dating, which is probably around like 15 or 16 Cause I just had other things on my mind, honestly, but like, I've always come back to it. Like I've had a few periods like that in my life where something was kind of pulling me away, but it has always been sort of like a constant center for me.
0: Awesome. I love, I love how so many of us have such vivid memories of like when we were first getting into Mm -hmm. it.
1: I mean, that shit sticks with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember there being video stores in gross in grocery stores though.
1: I mean, it was not a long period of time, so it's possible like our little age difference might be just enough to, and maybe it was regional. I don't really know.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Or I just don't remember grocery stores in in 1992. (laughs) I don't know. So that kind of leads me into my next question. Why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. It's a little it's a little hard to generalize because everybody is so different. I'll tell you a trend I do see, and it doesn't apply to everyone, but you always hear people say like when they're trying to, when they get involved in the horror genre the first time, I think, or like in the horror community for the first time. And some of this is like, what that means is so different now from when I, when I kind of joined, it was like, mostly real life, like conventions, if you went and met people or something like that. And there was like uh, message boards in the late 90s, early 2000s and stuff, but not obviously not like it is today with social media. Like you could have a whole friend group now, very omnipresent friend group. That's just based on social media or something, you know, but you always hear people say how gentle horror fans are. Most of them, I think, you know, it's hard to generalize, but like genuinely, generally most of the people I've met that are involved in this are like, the kindest, most sensitive, like, huggy bears you'll ever meet. Like, including the six-foot-tall dudes who wear all black and are way into metal, like, some of them are, like, the biggest teddy bears bears you'll ever meet, right? I have found in the people that I've become close with, and this is true myself too, this is, like, a little bit of my personal journey, but, like, I found a lot of trauma sends people to horror. There's some kind of – I think that there's some kind of connection – with people who felt like they had something to escape as a kid and found this thing that in some ways was maybe even darker and crazier than the thing they were experiencing in real life, but it's safe. Like it's a safe place to sort of explore those dark things and ideas that maybe like things happening in your real life are actually bringing up for you, but like it doesn't feel safe to do it there. So that's a definite thread that I've kind of discovered you could also broaden it out and generalize like many people have many things stick with them when they're a kid that become lifelong things. Like my father was a kid of the fifties and sixties and like, he's obsessed with baseball. Baseball was such a like culturally omnipresent thing then. Right. It was like baseball and apple pie and like all that bullshit. (laughs) But I always say like horror is my baseball. Like when I'm sort of talking about it with my father, and I think he understands that to some degree, but And I think that when presented with circumstances that you want to escape from, everybody's different is going to react differently. There's a certain percentage of people that go to this darker stuff for escape. Because I think there's, there is a lot to the idea that it's escape and catharsis. And it's always been a place for, I was, I also find that the people who get way, way into it are very intelligent people who like, like exploring and holding uncomfortable ideas. Cause it's a genre that asks you to do that constant when it's at its best. Right. And I love trash too, but even trash asks you sometimes to sit with uncomfortable things and see what you think about it, you know, and this is, you know, whatever, I don't need to preface it so much by saying like, I don't like to overgeneralize, but I think that lo- like largely the hardcore horror fan that makes it their life and they end up being pretty, pretty thoughtful, like intelligent people.
0: Definitely agree. What's your favorite subgenre in horror?
1: Man, I, it's such a product of my time, but I, it's it's always going to be the slasher for me. I get really excited when there's resurgences in some way. It's like the simplest thing, but I mean, I was I was born in '82, so I was a. I mean, I don't. And I, I wasn't actually around for that stuff. Really, it was more me in the early '90s, going back and discovering it. But there's something about a B movie slasher from like 1983 that like. It's the equivalent, for like a memory. Like, I feel like it, the way it makes me feel, I feel like it might be some people's memories of like a blizzard when you were a kid and your parents put the put a fire on and gave you hot cocoa. For me, it's like when I get that special mix of like bad sound, film grain, cheesy synthesizer music, like it's it sustains me. I love that.
0: <laughs> I love it. Who are your favorite horror directors?
1: That's a great question. I think... A lot of those guys who were working in the genre back then, Carpenter's a big one. I'm really fascinated by Carpenter because he's like a... He had this amazing period from like 82 to about 93 or four. Like, have you ever seen In the Mouth of Madness? I have not, no. It's really good. It's, <laughs> and in some ways, it's probably his last great movie he made. It's like a Lovecraft-inspired kind of thing. It's Sam Neill's in it. Okay. It's really wild. But he, he was a guy who made all these things that had become really beloved. But in a lot of ways, he, I had, the, I got this book. It's called like, I don't remember what it's called, but it was like an interview book with him where somebody just sat down and did like hours of interviews with him. And the guy is like such a curmudgeon. Like he felt very chewed up and spit out by Hollywood and his movies really weren't appreciated by critics at the time. And that was like a thing he always carried with him. He has like a self deprecating vibe that I very much like relate to, and I love in modern times like he he scores movies now with his son and this other guy they work with and it's just like the most wholesome amazing thing to see him like finding creative fulfillment in a modern environment after being aware for so many years that he was like in some ways uh, uncomfortable with the way because it people revere that guy and so it's like if you don't feel great about yourself and somebody's revering you, it's like there's a cognitive dissonance there. You almost kind of don't know what to do with that kind of information, you know, but I think it's, I think Carpenter is really my answer. Yeah. That's an old guy answer, but
0: that's my answer. (laughs) That's okay. It's a good, good answer. I think it's a lot of people's answers. He scored, did he score the new Halloween movies?
1: He did. Yeah. And he actually, he's, he did the score or this team did the score for the new Firestarter remake that's coming out. So I'm pretty interested to see what that's like.
0: I'm not familiar with Firestarter at all, is it?
1: I'm not either. Okay. No. And that, so that's when I, I was not a big reader, which like I kind of regret in hindsight. I'm still not. I'll go through periods where I'll, something will just kind of grab me and I'll get into it for a little while. But like, I'm sort of envious of the people that were big horror readers when they were kids. Cause there was just this whole other world of stuff I never really experienced and I never yeah. saw the original movie. So
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I don't read. I don't really read any horror. So I'm definitely with you. I I don't read it because it kind of scares me. So
1: I love that. That's great. I mean, listen, that's really special though. If you talk to a lot of people that have been really immersed in this stuff for decades, like that's, that's like people are chasing. A lot of people are chasing the dragon in some way, like that magical feeling. I talk about being scared as a kid one of my things I'm really grateful for is that I'm still, it's not that often, but I'm still capable of feeling that in the right circumstance. So like, that's awesome. If you still got that.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. And I can get, definitely get it from movies still. I think the movies that scare me the most are scare me in the same way that the books would, because Mm -hmm. I think when you don't, when the movies don't show you everything and you just have to make it up in your head, that's kind of what's very scary about books. Cause you have to picture everything in your head and you're always going to yeah. picture something that's worse. So I have a
1: kind of like, I'm, I have difficulty with my attention span and I definitely did as a kid as well. So I feel like that was partially why like my reading comprehension, I, I feel like I would read a page and be like, I don't know what I just read. And then I'd have to read it again or something.
0: <laughs> I, that happens to me so often. <laughs> uh, so you're not alone. I'm, I'm actually reading the it's sort of a horror book. It's called The Last House on Needless Street. It's been recommended mm-hmm. to me a bunch of times. I'm reading it. I have no idea what's happening. And I am 80 pages from the end. But apparently that's normal. <laughs> so ugh, I hope it makes sense towards the end. Otherwise, I'm going to need a support group to figure it out. Oh, <laughs> uh, Going back to horror scores, what would you say are your favorite horror scores that you go back to and listen to a lot?
1: Yeah, Creepshow, Day of the Dead. Those are the two big ones I listen to a lot. Like I said, I love that Return of the Living Dead one. That's just a cool movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that I've one. I've
0: seen it. That 80s horror is not my thing. Oh, okay. So that's, I, listen, I get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just love that like punk vibe in that movie. It's a lot of fun. But again, that's all like licensed stuff. I love- I mean, I won't because nobody wants to hear it. I could give you nuanced thoughts on all of the Halloween scores, even though they're all based on literally the same cues, but they're all reworked in like really subtle ways that are interesting. There's a um, an album you can find on Spotify that came out a couple of years ago called Halloween Returns. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the providence of this thing is. Cause I tried to find it on vinyl and it doesn't exist, but it's like someone else who's not a carpenter, like took all those Halloween themes and like, didn't remix them, but like very slightly modernize them and tweak them. And I'm like, I'm kind of obsessed with it. That's been, it's called Halloween returns. Um, In modern times, I just love what people are doing now that people, the nostalgia wave for those old synth scores has come back in the last decade or so, which is really great. Like the, it follows score is really amazing. Yeah. You know, I just saw X that had a really great score to it. I, you know what I listen to sometimes is the Hansel and Gretel. Was that the name oh, of that movie? Yeah. Or was it Gretel and Hansel?
0: Gretel and Hansel. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that guy, that, that, I went down a whole rabbit hole with that. Cause I liked the score and I went to listen to it. That movie is scored by a guy whose artist name is just Rob. Like. ROB, which I don't, I it's kind of a flex move. I feel like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even need a last name or a cool <laughs> stage name. It's just Rob. Uh, and he has a super interesting filmography. I'm actually, I'm going to pull my Spotify up because, yeah. okay. So here's another guy that I'm obsessed with right now. I don't know how to pronounce this. I think he's Polish. It W O J C I E C H which uh, it's like Wojciech well, or something like that.
0: Yeah. It's probably something like that.
1: And then G-O-L-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I, which I was reading is like Goluski or something like that, or golshevsky maybe. maybe. So that guy, he's scored largely indie stuff that I've never heard of. And he, and he also puts out his own albums that are just like concept albums. He's amazing. And I actually ended up, I found him on Twitter not too long ago and just sent him a message. I was like, dude, I love your music. It's amazing. Like, you know, just to tell, let him know that he had, like influenced me a lot.
0: Oh, that's super cool. Did he write back?
1: He did. Yeah. He was super, uh, super nice and gracious.
0: Oh, that's very cool. So before you were talking about comfort horror and comfort noise, do you want to uh, elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, there is something that goes on in human brains early on in childhood that just wires things to bring you comfort. And I look, and I think if you're like not into horror, you might look at people like us and be like, how is that your comfort? Like, I don't understand it. My theory is that it kind of doesn't matter what it is. It's more about the timing and the circumstance that you like are exposed to something that can like make that wire happen in your brain. You know, I don't like, there are times when I get really like scientific about my thoughts on it. And I don't want to like kind of take the magic of nostalgia out of it. Cause there is something kind of magical about it, but it's why I listen to those soundtracks or, you know, a, a great example is when we, we, when the lockdown happened in 2020 and I was, you know, we all had this experience. Like it was like Tuesday, somebody being like, Hey, I think we might need to go remote. And then like by Friday, the whole station that I was at was remote. And this is, I work in an industry where a month before that, No, everybody would have been like, you can't work from home. We can't do that. And then like, they did it in a week. So a, that's bullshit. But uh, (laughs) the first thing I did when I started working from home was like, I always like, I work with noise on kind of always. I I watched all of Friday the 13th series, like the movie series. I stop at Freddy versus Jason. I don't do the remake, (laughs) but there was something really telling to me about that, that, that was where I went and I didn't even think about it. It was like very subconsciously, like I need Friday the 13th. It's probably like, I think quality wise, Halloween probably bested as far as stuff I've watched a lot when I was a kid, but it just, there's something about Friday the 13th noise that really does it for me.
0: Nice. Well, there are lots of like fun sound effects and scores in Friday the 13th, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I've only seen, I think the first four Friday the 13ths.
1: I cannot imagine, to be fair to you having that experience, I cannot imagine what it's like to watch them back as an adult in modern time. Like, they're not good movies. They're trashy. Yeah. Yeah, They are definitely, they're in the very least fascinating time capsules of like clothing and, you know, societal mores and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what's funny though, you mentioned Freddy versus Jason. I saw Freddy versus Jason in theaters when it was released, having never seen a Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street movie mm-hmm. before, and I was like, "What's going on?" I didn't really like it, but
1: that movie was fascinating because this is kind of ties back to what I was talking about with having context for stuff when you've been around <laughs> this long. But that was basically the the rumor. I, I feel like this was confirmed, but like. There was always a rights thing. Like Paramount had Friday the Thirteenth, and New Line had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and there were there were rumors that they were had to, like tried to do a versus movie in the late eighties because at that point both of the series were kind of waning, the slasher thing was kind of dying, and so that was looked at as like a gimmick that might be fun or work or whatever. And supposedly that's what Friday 13 Thirteenth Part Seven was going to be. So you haven't seen it, but in Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven there is a a uh, girl who has like telekinetic powers and that's like a whole thread. And then she basically ends up in a place where Jason is and they fight. They're like, she's able to use her powers against him. It's a kind of fascinating diversion in the series, but the rumor is that that was originally supposed to be Freddie versus Jason when they couldn't make the deal. They just were like, they just found a way to rewrote it so that he had some kind of opponent in huh. that movie. But then new line cinema, or Paramount went out of business or they were sold or something happened in the late eighties, early nineties and new line cinema bought the rights to Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. They then did, they did Freddy's dead. And have you ever seen Freddie's dead? No. That's a fascinating movie. Like early nineties, very self-aware was directed by a woman, which at the time was pretty rare. Rachel Talalay, who was a new line cinema executive. She did tank girl. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but at the end of that movie, when he goes on to hell, there's this scene where, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting these mixed up. So they did Freddy's Dead. New Line produced Jason Goes to Hell. That The reason why it's called Jason Goes to Hell is because they had the rights to the character and not the name Friday the 13th. They didn't get the name. They just had Jason. So they called, they did Jason Goes to Hell, which was the New Line Cinema one. But at the end of that, Freddy's Glove like pulls his mask under the ground after he's like gone down to hell. So. You hear me? I'm nerding out about this. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with this shit. Like, so in 1993, I think it was when Jason Goes to Hell came out. I see Freddy's glove pull Jason's mask down, and this is before like internet and I don't know the production cycle, the rumors, whatever. (laughs) Now you'd know two years in advance to Freddy versus Jason being made. But when I was in sixth grade, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? They're going to fight each other? Like, holy shit. So I spent like a decade waiting for that movie and was so excited. That, like, there are a few things I geek out about more than like Friday the 13th lore. It's so, it's like so silly. And the series really had no lore until New Line bought it because in the early 90s, that's what they started doing with slashers. They're like, well, nobody wants to just see a slasher anymore. So now there's got to be a reason why they do this, or we have to come up with all this kind of complicated backstory stuff. And then they ended up just dying out and all that stuff kind of fizzled out, but they hired Ronnie Yu, who basically was just getting into making American films. And he had never seen either of these movies, same as you. And I think, I think I remember hearing him say that he had did a marathon of them or something, but it was really important to him to basically bring his own style to it and just bring enough of the mythos in So it's, it's a fascinating mishmash of stuff. It's also a time capsule because you get Kelly Rowland and like Monica Kina. It's such a like early 2000s, like kind of thing as well on top of that. So
0: which, which installment is this?
1: Freddy versus Jason. I know I just mentioned, but yeah, Yeah. (laughs) my larger point being that like when Freddy versus Jason came out, that was it for the buildup of like over a decade of excitement for people who like wanted to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it did really well. It made like 90 million or something in the box Ooh, office.
0: Well, good good for them. I love hearing you nerd out on Friday the 13th. That's why you're here. Um,
1: that was a fraction of it, but I'm, I'm sparing you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. When I was, I can totally relate about nerding out because I grew up as a rent head. So my life was all about the show Rent. So mm. I get it. I would talk and to I've you And I've never seen that,
1: that. So there you go. All
0: right. Well, there will probably be a tour coming to you soon. <laughs> Yeah. That's very cool. Has anyone ever written a book about the history of Friday the 13th and all of the sequels?
1: Yeah. There's, there's multiple okay. books and there's also a, a really incredible documentary called crystal like memories that it comes yes. on and off shutter at some point. It's like yeah. eight hours long or something. And it gets into a lot of that stuff. So it's, yeah. it's really good. I watched a good...
0: I think about two or three hours of that. And then I, mm-hmm. yeah, then I needed a break.
1: Yeah. I mean, in some ways, if you don't want to watch the movies, it yeah. may be a good primer to just understand the phenomenon of it or something, you know?
0: Yeah. Even though it's still eight hours of my life.
1: Well, <laughs> when those came out, I had, I remember I had a n- newborn child when that n- the Nightmare on Elm Street one came out, like new newborn. And I remember staying up all night once with her, like on my shoulder <laughs> while I watched like six hours of this Nightmare on Elm Street documentary.
0: Oh, Wow. Uh, so, you did not like the Friday the 13th reboot remake in 2009 ish?
1: I didn't know. No. I mean, it's it's got that Platinum Dunes thing of the era where everything was just kind of grayish, greenish, blue. It was a little too glossy for me. Like, I don't, what I love about those movies is their, their 80s ness. And yeah. like, I don't know that you can recreate that. Unless you're gonna do something that's almost on a like satire le- or like a visual satire, like you almost have to lean way into that. I don't know. I'm not sure you could have pleased me with that movie, regardless of what it was, but I didn't love it. I felt like Jason had too much. I remember that was like one of our favorite shows because we were it was a forever ago. Who knows what I said on it? But I remember just going off on like Jason doesn't grow weed. Okay. Like there's a scene in that movie where Jason's like a weed field, like. He literally does nothing but murder. Like, does he even exist when he's not doing that? I don't know. But he like builds traps in that movie and like all that shit was just an issue.
0: Mm. That sounds a little bit like when Rob Zombie gave Michael a whole bunch of backstory in his version. Yes,
1: very much so. Yeah. They also, Betsy Palmer, who played Jason's mom in the original movie. She was in, she would have done it. She's kind of a, she's kind of a funny lady too. Cause like, she doesn't give a fuck about any of this shit, but it's made her money her whole life. She at the time was like, I guess like a really well-respected actress. And she took like, she was like a nice person. That was her like character thing. And so like, this was weirdly it was just a paycheck, but it was weirdly out of her lane and it became the thing she was known for. And she always kind of seems like she just has resentment for that or something. But she said at the time she would have done it, but had, you know, she, good for her. She lists a price and they wouldn't pay it. Cause it, it was kind of a small role. It's just like in the beginning of that remake, but no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking Freddy versus Jason now I'm, I'm getting my movies <laughs> mixed up, but cause there is a, there's a Mrs. Voorhees cameo on Freddy versus Jason. that They didn't pay her for which like, come on, just yeah. give her, her money. Yeah.
0: So an article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case?
1: Maybe we're more largely, and this I know. I know like people that are exceptions to this rule, but maybe we're largely more homebodies or introverted. I don't think you are. You're. I see you on your Instagram. You're like always out at a show or something. (laughs) I very much am like, and I listen. I can like get into the outdoors, but like if I get around too many people, it's just exhaustion for me, and I need to go like recharge somewhere. I'm like one of those kind of people, so. I, I think we were maybe more prepared for the isolation, like your average person, but hell, I mean, even with that, it, I got to a point at some point where it was like, yeah, it was unpleasant at some point.
0: Yeah. That's understandable. So I don't like the outdoors, but I can be out in public and be okay. interesting.
1: I guess they are kind of separate things. So for me personally, I like to be indoors and largely sitting. (laughs) That gives you context for what I mean. You know, maybe that's a function of my, my age as well. And I have two small kids. So like, I don't get a lot of free time when I get free time. It's like, I need to be resting and recharging anyway, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, when I go see shows, I am indoors and sitting. So there you go. I don't have to talk to anyone. So you got to walk to get
1: there. You got to like get on a train. That's like a whole, like I, I lived in Boston for like 10 years and Only for about five of that was I in a place where I had access to the train and I loved it, but, but I also had a car like Boston's one of those cities where a lot of those neighborhoods, you can still have cars.
0: Yeah. Uh, So you are the host and creator of the podcast, bloody good horror. When did you come up with the idea for that podcast?
1: Well, the, the brand itself like I said, I, we, I started in 2001 with my younger brother, Mark, who was on the show for years. He's not anymore, but I just wanted to write reviews. I, I had spent a whole summer, my freshman year of college, which was 2000, 2001. It was like right around the time when high-speed internet access started really <laughs> blowing up and people are getting outside of their AOL walled gardens and stuff. And I, that's when I discovered the online horror community and Review sites like Creature Corner and like Arrow in the Head, and just blogs for people to review horror movies. And I was just obsessed with it. And at some point that year, I decided that I wanted to do it. I was in college. My younger brother was in high school, but he was always like a computer whiz and was learning how to build a website. So I had him build me a website. And he always watched horror movies with me, so he was at least like tangentially interested in what I was doing. That review site with the With the, what's the the word I'm looking for? Exception, it's not even a hard word. With the exception of like two years at one point, that review site existed from 2001 until like 2007. In 2007, Mark and I, he was out of college. I was like an adult with a job. We decided to like rebuild it and really do it because he was working professionally at that point as a web designer. So Mm -hmm we wanted to really try to do it right. So like that year we relaunched and for the first time, cause it was always me and just me, like maybe one or two other people writing, but it was largely just me. In 2007, when we relaunched, we just reached out to a bunch of people and started recruiting writers. That's how I met. So I started, I, I bought some advertising on a podcast called night of the living podcast. They've been around for, they're like, they call themselves the longest running horror podcast. They're probably right about that. If I think about it, like the only other ones at the time, bigger ones were like Rumorg Radio was around then. Dread Central had a podcast and Night of the Living podcast. So they, all those had been started up for about a year or so. It was real. I mean, it didn't feel like it at the time. It felt like everybody was doing it, but now I know that's not right. Cause now everybody's really doing it. like, cause now when I tell people that, we started podcasting in 2007. It fucking blows people's mind. Some people learned about podcasts like this year. You know what I mean?
0: I, my, my first reaction is, were there podcasts in 2007?
1: I mean, there were barely iPhones. So like what yeah. she, what I would do was I would download them through iTunes on my PC and then sync them to my, like, my iPod Nano or some shit. Like that's yeah. how you got stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, you were really only speaking to pretty techie people. Like your parents weren't going to be listening to a podcast. Whereas now- they can just get it on their phone so it's obviously it's a lot more accessible but we started in 2007 i was literally stealing the wi-fi from the pool house at the apartment complex i lived in and would have to sneak in there and reboot it every once in a while when it wasn't working which blows my mind now because now i'm like I, I make everyone be hardwired into the internet and like it's just funny that how we started out but so it's been i don't know what year is it <laughs> it's 2022 yeah. so 3 10 It's been 15 15? years, 15, 15, I think. Yeah. I think maybe this fall will be 15, which is kind of crazy. It has, I've gone through an enormous amount of change in that time. I mean, careers, marriages, well, it's just one that's not around anymore, (laughs) but like children move. I lived in Florida, Boston, New York. Like it's always been omnipresent. Like I might take a week off for a move or something, but then we try to get right back on it. And so it's been a a centering force in my life in a lot of ways. I've been, I was really fortunate that I not only in the beginning had my brother, but also just by pure happenstance, like recruited these people that were extremely talented, but also invested in what we were doing. So like my co-host, John, my co-host, Casey later after about a hundred or so episodes, Joe joined us and then CC at some point. And then we had all these other people that were around. We, I used to jokingly call them the new class. After, like, say, by the bell, which is just like an ancient reference at this point, (laughs) but I guess maybe it's coming back around to being nostalgic in a funny way. But and now, even there's even a new wave, I would call it, of people involved in the site that got came to us through Slack first, which is like a Patreon thing, and then just became our friends and started writing for the site. So I have more thoughts, but do you have more? <laughs> I don't want to just keep rambling.
0: No, I love it. You've created such like a fun community with the Slack channel and everything. So I was really excited when I joined last year.
1: And so- I like really, I appreciate that. I also feel like all we ever really did is just put the platform out there and it, it just, it's the people that get on there that have created that community. You know what I mean? And like, there was a time, there was a time early on in the pandemic where our Slack was like, you couldn't even follow it. Like you log in now and there's a handful of posts, like, and it's alive. Like there's a lot of channels, there's chat going on. There was a time early on in lockdown when it, it, you could see it scroll in real time. And like people would join and be like, I was afraid because I couldn't even read what was happening. It was happening so fast. We all just were out of our minds looking for friendship and comfort. And like a lot of friendship, like a lot of real life friendships were born out of, that scenario. And a lot of those people have moved on from Slack. They just are in their own friend groups now. And I love that. Like some of them have started their own shows. People sort of, there are people that have stayed around in Slack for a long time. And there's people that it's been more of like a season in their life. And I just love all of it. Like, if it's ever been something important to somebody, that's a really special thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. What are your top five favorite episodes that you've recorded? If you can pick five.
1: Oh, boy. I don't know if I could list a lot of particular ones, but they're, episode 17 i wouldn't even say favorite but this is like a noteworthy one we did prom night this sort of has become bgh lore at this point prom night which was like that 20 2007 i guess like peachy 13 real glossy yeah. like kind of tweeny horror movie and you know we were a little more edge lordy back then we were all in our like mid 20s and it was like the culture was very different and i think like none of us really understood what to make of this movie. And we're all a little like ornery about it. And John and I sort of got in a fight in that episode. Cause like he, his argument, which is one we make a lot now. And I'm, I've come around on that. Like horror isn't always made for you and you meaning anybody. Right. But like, there is a market for what we now call starter horror, which is stuff that traffics in tropes in a way that can almost like teach you what the genre is about, but is not so, over the top heinous that it's like not okay for like a younger kid to be watching it or whatever. But so that's a kind of a famous episode, episode 500. We did a sort of this is your life thing where I did a big clip show and then I had everybody send in, send me audio clips of them just saying kind of what BGH means to them and just kind of edited that all together. Mm. That was really special. I got a lot of really like moving comments from people and just putting it together was like a pretty emotional thing it was when I think I've, I really started to realize how big it big of a thing it was in some people's lives and like it's it's easy it's easy sometimes for me to forget that because it's I feel it's grown so far beyond me that I don't even necessarily feel ownership of it anymore which is a weird thing to feel about a thing that I started in my bedroom when I was 7 18 or 19 or something you know. <laughs> But that's what happens when it's around that long and when people connect to it, like it does sort of not become fully yours at some point.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, I heard you talk about Starter Horror on your episode this week where you talked about The Seller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
1: You're a great an, example. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I do agree that that, it kind of just like hits all the tropes. I liked the mm-hmm. beginning and the end, but I just got bored in the middle.
1: Well, and part of it, this is a thing I've learned over years is like, I think in the beginning people really enjoyed our like fiery takes on things. That was that era of podcasting in general. Like it was kind of freeing to just have a platform and be like, I, f- I fucking hate this movie. Like screw it. But you know, like, but you know, we all get older and we all change. And like, if people don't want to change with you, then what are you going to do? Like, that's just, if people aren't changing, that's not what life is. Like I was, I'm going to be 40. So I was 25 or six or something when I started the show. So like, I'm a completely different person. And I like, I like finding the nuance now of like, you know, this might not be my thing, but if you're into like this kind of thing, maybe it is. But what I have to balance that out with is sometimes I'm just annoyed that I have to watch a movie that's like really mediocre. And so it's a balance trying to, you know, not sound like a crazy person, but also like not be completely devoid of an emotional response to a movie.
0: (laughs) Just so we can round that with a positive note. What is your favorite horror movie that you've watched recently for the podcast. That's new.
1: You know what? I'm going to open my phone. And look. <laughs> Dude, like,
0: totally fine. I literally
1: <laughs> forget movies. Like right after we do them, that's another somebody made a somebody, I don't know if they still maintain it. I think they do, but it's a, a letterboxd account that just keeps track of every movie we've done on the show. Mm. And I'll sometimes go back and flip through the covers. I feel like I don't recognize half of the posters <laughs> of I mean, you know, 600 movies. Yeah. Oh, I mean, definitely X. x is amazing like it's such a good movie i enjoyed nightmare alley a lot i thought that scream was decent that was one we kind of did recently i really it's like this is this is a lane of mine i really like the resident evil movies
0: Mm. because
1: they're just terrible and i (laughs) i really enjoyed resident evil welcome to raccoon city
0: Oh, okay.
1: There's a lot of great. They actually set it in 1998 or six or something, which is when that first game came out. Yeah. So there's a lot of silly late 90s nostalgia in it. Like they're talking about like somebody has a proto, like Palm Pilot thing and like their <laughs> CDs. And so that was kind of cool. There hasn't been a ton. I like Titan a lot, although I think it's like maybe too smart for me. The Green Knight and then like Candyman. Yeah. So that goes back to like September.
0: So as you said before, you have two kids. Do you plan on introducing them to horror when they're old enough?
1: Yes, I do. I do. I get a little, sometimes I feel like parents, it's like their number one mission in life to like expose their kids to the thing they're into so that their kids will be into it. Yeah. I like to take a little more hands-off approach largely because like I want them to be able to to develop and uh, find out what they're into. You know what I mean? But I'm also aware of the fact that like uh, I have all my VHS and I have posters. like I have enough things around that they have questions about that I'm sure I'm already intriguing them like, what is it? So we have discussions about it isn't real. It's just like make believe. some people like scary movies because it's fun, like that kind of thing. I have a lot like I, I like to, I like to talk with my kids a lot about things that might be like kind of confusing for them. They're very, they're getting very intrigued though, which is kind of, it's fun to, but his mom also kind of like, where's the line here? You know, I watched monster house with them. My three-year-old very much did not like it. It was too scary for her. My five-year-old was very into it. That movie's scary. I don't know if you've seen it.
0: But I have not, no.
1: I hadn't seen it. It's like an animated thing that like Spielberg produced. What interesting thing about my kids is that I feel like kids now are at least mine are largely growing up on animated stuff. And so when they see something that's acted, I've had to have like lengthy discussions with my five-year-old about how, like, just cause you're seeing people, that doesn't mean that's real. Like she really didn't, she didn't have the context to know that. Like, so I had to explain like they're actors. So they're like pretending to do that. And like, it was interesting to me how much that like didn't resonate with her at first, but So I'm a little hesitant to show them stuff because I don't want to like scar them. But I've actually found that music, these soundtracks are actually a great way to, because I listen to them a lot anyway. I just bought the Chud soundtrack from Waxworks that came out. It's awesome. And my my five-year-old will just ask for it now. She'll be like, put on Chud, which is like (laughs) just one of the funniest things you could ever hear a five-year-old say. So I found like music is an interesting entree into it because it's a little safer, I feel like. And they- recently discovered thriller that they're very into. So it's been fun.
0: That's cool. That's cool. One way you could get them to be into it is by telling them they can't watch it. Cause that worked for you. And it also I know.
1: Well, me. I'm aware. Oh. I'm aware. Of that too, yeah. <laughs> I'm very, one of my favorite movies as a kid was Ernest scared, stupid, <laughs> which is just real. Just, it's got good Halloween atmosphere. I used to run it when I was like younger a yeah. lot. <laughs> That's like my go-to. I like, when can I show you guys this? Like, it's not yet, but I'm like, I'm just waiting for that.
0: Yeah, three and five might be a little young to start, you know. Just go easy, start with hostile when they're like seven.
1: But when we were kids, the kind of shit we watched was fucking crazy. Have you ever seen Gremlins? Like, Gremlins was a kid's movie, and it's terrifying and bloody and violent. Like, (laughs) it's so hard. It's, I don't know. I I also worry that I'm, like, too helicopter-y sometimes, too. It would be okay to just let go. This is what happens when you're a parent. You just, you second-guess literally everything you do.
0: Yeah, I second guess everything I do anyway, so that's why I'm opting out of the (laughs) the kids part of life, but lots of respect for putting yourself (laughs) through that. (laughs) Uh, How do you decide what horror movie to watch when you're just looking for something to watch that you don't have to, that's not for the podcast?
1: It is largely stuff I've already seen. Um, I'm a big binge TV watcher. I've seen Breaking Bad like 30 times probably. It That weirdly ended up being like a comfort show for me, which is hilarious because it's like, there's nothing comforting about that show. I largely end up watching stuff I've already seen for like, for comfort. I do, my partner is very into horror like I am. And so I really love if she's ever in a mood of like, I just kind of like watch, was thinking about watching this random thing. I'm always like, yes, because I have such, choice paralyzation that like i love it when she has an idea and her and i always have like a ton of fun watching stuff so it's always it doesn't matter what it is it's always a good time so that's probably it because when you have to watch a movie every week for the show it becomes like homework at some point so that kind of changes what it's like when you're trying to pick something else
0: are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again
1: I really loved Martyrs when we did it for the show, but I'm not sure I could sit through that again. Any Anything like that that's just about how shocking can we be? And I, I don't want to downsell Martyrs because I actually think it's like yeah. a really artistic movie. But at the time, I was in a phase where I was really enjoying pushing myself, like how far can I go? And like, I found out like a Serbian film, I, there wasn't much redeeming about that. I don't really want to see that again. So there's that kind of thing, like I'm not that into
0: I can appreciate
1: it and I can make myself get through it, but they're not things I'm going to like revisit.
0: Yeah. I watched Martyrs for the first time, like four to six weeks ago. Glad I watched it. Never. It's a beautiful
1: film. It's just, it just drains your soul. And, you know, covering the horror genre, you talk again about context. Like that was a period of a couple of years where that was the vibe every week was like, all right, we're going to fucking do this to ourselves this week. (laughs) And it was just where, you know, genre filmmakers were at the time.
0: Yeah, have you seen Incident in Ghostland on Netflix yet? I have not. Oh, it's by the same director as Martyrs. Oh, and okay. I did not know that going into it, and then it just—it's—it's really—it's really fucked up.
1: It's a similar, yeah, kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, there's there's less torture in it, but it's like it's just so weird. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters?
1: Man, I went to see The Mist in Florida when I lived in Florida in 2007 and a bunch, this is actually has nothing to do with the movie, which is funny, but a bunch of kids were like harassing this group of girls and ended up being like kicked out by police, like in the middle of the mist, which oh God. at the time, especially too, if anybody was interrupting my movie, I would just be like, get the fuck out. Like, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. When, when house of a thousand corpses came out, that movie had been shelved for years. So if you followed online horror discourse, like 2002, 2003, you knew that movie had been shelved, and that made it sort of feel mythical. And you were like, Oh, Rob's not, this is yeah. pretty my current thoughts on Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. But like <laughs> at the time, if you ever heard anything was being shelled, the other one around the time was trick or treat that that was happening to was like, man, it was just horror fans love a good martyr. Like we were just like, yeah, that's a thousand corpses. I bought a bootleg off of eBay that I got like a few days before that movie came out. I watched it like, could barely see it was like a 10th generation bootleg or something. Watched it, loved it. Then I went to see in the theater. And I brought my girlfriend at the time who was very, very much not into horror. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, taking her to this, but I could tell that the vibe in the audience, these were all people that were like me. They were, they knew where they were. They knew that what they were seeing, they had read about this movie whatever. And when it finished, people clapped, like, and I did too, like there was like a round of applause for that movie. Cause people were just so excited to see that it had gotten released. And I remember my girlfriend at the time being like, what is wrong with you people? Like, why are you clapping? <laughs> that was definitely a memorable one. Another one was cabin fever. I followed that movie from like development through production and then got to see that in a theater. That was a really cool experience. Generally, as I've gotten older, what I really value is like, and this is, I just started recently going back to the theater and it looks like a lot, a, I'm a matinee kind of person now. And it looks like a lot of them are gone, at least in my local area. I couldn't get a movie before noon, which is a bummer because there's nothing better to me than like, I used to drink coffee. I don't anymore, but like 10, 10, 11 a.m. Sunday cup of coffee movie. That's kind of like the perfect vibe for me. Like maybe two other people in the theater. I don't like no one in the theater because then I feel like I'm going to get murdered and it kind of freaks me out. So like one or two others is a part and as long as they're like 20 feet away from me, then we're all good.
0: Yeah. Same. I used to love going to on Saturdays and 9am yoga class and then going to see a Manet at the theater nearby. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like half price and no one there.
1: It's but, the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When I was uh, in Tel Aviv a couple of years ago, I went to go see happy death day to you because mm-hmm. I had some free time and it was just me and this middle-aged man behind me. And I was like, this is weird. I was like, I'm going to keep, I kept looking over my shoulder at him.
1: If they're sitting too close, it's freaky. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what has been your favorite horror movie so far that has come out in 2022?
1: X by far. It's like the only thing that uh, we've seen a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of trash this year. I feel like mm. I'm waiting for the good stuff.
0: <laughs> the flip side of that, what horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in the rest of 2022?
1: I say this in utmost honesty. I have no idea what's coming out in 2022. Like, I am not the person that keeps track of that at BGH. Like We have those conversations of what we're doing week to week. It's very informal, over text. You know what we're doing this week, actually, is there's this animated thing on Shudder. It's sort of like animated violent fantasy. The Spine of Night.
0: That sounds up. A violent
1: animated fantasy horror epic about an ambitious young man and the forbidden knowledge of a sacred plant. So it's like all Mm. philosophical and spiritual and I was watching it. I caught it on Shutter TV the other day and was like, "Oh, it's kind of cool." So that's how we ended up doing that for the show. So the answer is, I have no idea. I'm interested to see Halloween. uh, Halloween ends, Mm -hmm. but I thought Halloween Kills was kind of not great. So I wouldn't say I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, I'm going in with very low expectations. I thought Halloween Kills. I just, I mean, like,
1: (laughs) I like seeing Michael Myers, so like it's going to be pleasant to me in some way, but. (laughs)
0: Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like, or do you have any unpopular horror movie opinions?
1: I think we live in a time where literally any movie has been reconsidered by like a group of people. So it's it's hard to even call something underrated now, I feel like, because you know, like what when I got into this, Halloween three was like a pariah. And you can find, you can throw a rock now and hit a Halloween three fan. It's a fun movie. For me, it's Blair Witch Book of Shadows. It might be one of the last ones left that it's still like not that popular to be into i do meet other people that are like me but i really like that movie i think it's a really i didn't see, what's interesting is i did not see it at the time it came out and I, it's probably a good thing i was a huge blair witch fan and i probably would have been very disappointed in it i saw it in like 2013 or 2014 or something like that and i really love it it's just a really interesting like psychological thriller with this like Blair Witch mythos kind of wrapped around it and really really great early 2000s technology nostalgia which I'm very into I live so this is in 2000s but this keyboard is from like a, a, a it I wouldn't even be a Mac it would be an Apple from like the early 80s wow. that I have it's so loud I have to buy it like You need a $30 like adapter just to be able to use it, but it's the most satisfying thing in the world. So I get, that's one of my big things is like any era of old computer technology I'm very into. So it's another cool thing about Book of Shadows.
0: Very cool. Emma from the YouTube channel Spooky Astronauts made a YouTube video defending that movie Mm -hmm. last year. So definitely check that out. I rewatched that, I think a year or two ago. It wasn't too bad. Mm -hmm. I like Blair Witch 2016 better, but I don't.
1: Yeah, think. there's also a really fascinating anybody who like subscribed to Horror Hound back in the day because I used to write for them. They I did like a Blair Witch retrospective for them in 2009 probably or 2010 where I interviewed Joe Berlinger, who's the director of Blair Witch and like man, just the most fascinating. Like they hired him because he was a documentarian, like a really well-respected award-winning documentarian. But he had this ethos of like, he didn't believe, he believed that the Blair Witch was like an ethically irresponsible thing because it presented itself as a documentary, like as a documentary. And he had this code of like rep, holding up real life and not manipulating the narrative or being honest with your audience. So they hired him because of his documentary chops. And he was like, that's fine, but I'm not making a fake documentary. Like it's going to be a narrative movie because he also wanted the chance he wanted to get the chance to make a narrative movie. So there was a weird friction between the idea and the creator in the first place. And then when it came out, it just decimated him in his career. Like he told me he literally basically was like laying on a floor for like three months after that movie came out and was like completely devastated by the response to it. And when I, in fact, when I tried to get in touch with him for the interview, it was like, I was in the CIA and I was trying to get a spy to talk to me. He thought he's like, I literally just want to make sure you're not setting me up for like to be humiliated or so. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I love this fucking movie. But, uh, so that if you happen to have old horror hounds laying around and you have the Blair, Witch one, I think it's, I'm sure it's long out of print, but it was a, it was a cool article.
0: Very cool. And look it up on eBay. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be?
1: I probably, not, I don't, I don't think I have an answer for this. Like it, anything that I would have ever thought that about has already been remade and the results are always kind of mixed. So.
0: (laughs) All right. My last question is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be?
1: Horror villain, boy. Oh my gosh. You're quarantined in with them, huh? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe Chucky. (laughs) I feel like, because if you, if you're, if you can be friends with them, like you get, you at least get to talk. I feel like he would just hang out with you. There's the last Chucky movie they had where Andy had his head like spiked to a wall or something like that. I didn't like that movie, but that was a pretty great idea that he just like had the head on his wall.
0: Yeah, that was a terrible movie. I've never actually seen any of the original Child's Play, but I saw that one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. I thank you for geeking out. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and Bloody Good Horror on the Internet?
1: Yeah, so bloodygoodhorror.com is a good place to start. You can search Bloody Good Horror in any podcast apps. It's the same name I picked in 2001, sitting in my (laughs) bed, like just my bedroom just made up that name. For years, distributors thought we were British. Like I still get emails inviting me to British screenings because they think it's, but yeah, that's where I would start in your podcast app and we're on all the socials and stuff. So we also do, Caitlin, who's on our show, also produces Plug It Up. Mm -hmm. which that's a reference to Carrie when they're like throwing tampons at her in the shower. (laughs) But that's like, she delves into a lot of movies that are about monstrous motherhood and monstrous femininity. And that was like a sort of BGH Presents project we launched last year. We actually She just hit her her year anniversary on that. So that's a really cool show too.
0: Yeah, love it. Caitlin was on a few episodes ago. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eric Newell and thanks again to Eric for coming on. You can find links to his socials and Bloody Good Heart in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at pc at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated.